You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. RPS presents Totally Enormous Extinct Dinosaurs. Even though Orlando Higginbottom has kept his fabulously named musical project very much alive since he released his debut album Trouble a decade ago, with a constant drip of fresh electronic danceable pop singles, including a Grammy-nominated collaboration in 2020 with fellow British producer Bonobo for the track Heartbreak, and EPs like the conceptual lockdown ambient album I Can Hear the Birds, he's finally completed a long-running follow-up titled When the Lights Go. An album marked by some of the darker phases the Oxford artist has survived after his disenchantment working with his former label that steered him towards depression and alcohol abuse. Since becoming an independent artist fronting his own label, Nice Age, Orlando felt revitalized and started crystallizing the demos that would eventually form the oeuvre that he happily released into the world this September of 2022. We managed to talk to the artist who's been living in Los Angeles for the last few years about his journey to self-discovery, the liberation of going independent, and the creative benefit of the LA loneliness. This was our chat with Totally Enormous Extinct Dinosaurs. Orlando, congratulations on your new album, which is due for release uh, on, in September. It'll be your second long player after your debut, Trouble, which turned 10 this year. Since then, you've been releasing singles and EPs. Why have you taken so long in following up Trouble with a full-length album? <laughs> this is the question. Um, I'm still trying to figure that out. I think that um, there are a number of reasons. First of all, I had my issues with the music industry and I wanted to find a way to release music that felt fair to me. I wanted to find a deal that had the right dynamics and I didn't feel like I was being um, sort of taken advantage of. Um, and so that was one part. And then another part was that I had a few years where I, I kind of lost my way a bit, really. I, I got quite depressed and just spent uh, three years making music but not releasing anything at all. Um, and that really sort of slowed everything down because um, once you sort of stop the flow, then you can really get into a strange place mentally where it's hard to then start again. Um, but once I started releasing music again in like 2018, uh, it really has been super fun and, and I've just been sort of building and experimenting with different ways to put stuff out and self-releasing and stuff. And, and, and now, you know, in the last year and a half, I felt ready to put out an album. So, you know, a number of uh, two things, really, the personal and then uh, the business. But because for a moment, I thought maybe it was also it had uh, something to do with the fact that in the electronic music world, you know, where DJs and producers, 
single track releases are a standard practice favored over albums with 10 or 12 or 17 tracks like the case of of your new album uh, was there a little bit of that as well is it is it also a point where it's not it isn't that necessary to put so much stress into making an album and you can have an established career as an electronic producer just by giving little gems from time to time yes well you definitely can as a dj um, I think, you know, I mean, the DJ model is different from anything else in music. Uh, it's a very unique, <laughs> amazing, strange uh, career line. I mean, yes, you can put out one single and a remix a year. And if your Instagram is really popping, you can, you know, be a millionaire. Um, but I never wanted to do that. And the DJing world has always been like on the side for me. I always wanted to release albums and be an artist and be a musician first and foremost and then you know uh uh kind of you know if i get to do some djing that's fantastic um and some remix and that's fantastic you know it was always about doing albums right well that's interesting wow so it's so so now that you've mm, taken your time and you've set up your own label which is going to um, publish this your second album uh, nice age uh, how is that experience of, of, of having your own label and having the control of the reins, shall we say? It's fantastic. Uh, I, I love it. You know, there's, I recommend it for absolutely everybody. Um, the music industry is not that complicated. Uh, there are a lot of moving, moving pieces, but none of it is hard to understand. And, um, you know, the more you get to be involved, the more creative you can be. And I would say most importantly, you, you feel rewarded for your work because you can see what's going on. Uh, you can see where people are listening. You can see where money is coming from and where it's not coming from. And it's um, the control gives you a sense of purpose that I I didn't really feel when I was signed to Universal um, where I felt very disconnected from my listeners and the sort of like actual mechanical side of the music industry. So I recommend it to absolutely everybody, you know, self-release for music. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, without sounding too patronizing, could you give us like a, a brief guide, like, running your own label for dummies if you know what i mean like because a lot of musicians i imagine uh when it comes to the legality of everything and uh the territories like it's one thing releasing music in the u.s but then you've got the european standards and then the asian and the south american is it a lot of kerfuffle or is it much simpler than you think and all you need is a trusty lawyer you need a trusty lawyer but more importantly you need a trusty distribution company um, so that's your distributor is your best friend and they're the people who make sure that your song is uploaded to, um, Spotify worldwide and Apple worldwide. And, and maybe you find some money to have somebody help you get your music to radio stations. Um, maybe you choose to spend that money on some remixes instead, you know, you, you get to play with what you have and be creative with it and choose where you want to focus your energy. Um, but the sort of like, you know, getting your music out into the world is not the hard bit. 
Um, the, the, the tricky bit is much more making sure that the right people hear it and that they're taking you seriously. That bit's, that bit can be hard, you know, radio stations and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, streaming sites and whatnot, that, 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 that's a bit more political, but if you just want to put a song up on iTunes, um, you can do that in about 25 minutes, <laughs> you know, so do it, experiment. And, and and take control. It's really fun. Speaking of remixes, who would you like to, who's on your little wish list to to um, get some remixes for some of your new material? Who Who's exciting you? Oh, uh, well, I have, yeah, I was, there's a lot of people who are exciting me. Um, one of the things though that I've decided with this album, if I, I'm going to do a few remixes, not many, but I really want to focus in on some electronic genres that um, maybe don't get so much of a look in and so, and, but I love, so I, I want to kind of get quite a few drum and bass remixes, um, maybe a dubstep producer, maybe someone who does kind of like down tempo stuff, maybe ambient, but I'm going to maybe avoid the sort of like classic house remixes route um i feel there's enough of that music out there in the world right now and um i i'm interested in you know some pushing it in some other ways well yeah i mean that 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 early 90s british rave sound seems to be coming back in a very fresh way with people like two shell or over mono and stuff is is that uh, those are the is that are you also in sync with that kind of feeling that 90s the 90s kind of rave needs to have a comeback? I, I think it's always there, honestly. I would almost disagree with what you said. I, I think that it's just continual. I think that anyone who, um, especially who grows up in the UK and makes music, you, you of course you're influenced by jungle and hardcore and these sounds. Like all dance music, I think now at this point, is influenced by that music. Um, and there's always people playing those records in clubs and always people making big tunes that reference them. I mean, you know, like 90s Chicago house has been, is, is big every year and uh, drum and bass is big every year. It just doesn't get press. Um, and jungle is huge. You know, I, I think it's just sort of, we have these moments where maybe a certain record label will, push and be like hey this this is the sound because we're putting money behind it and this is coming back but actually it's always there um and especially that kind of like early rave thing it's what we're bouncing off the whole time so yeah i i, I think it's a constant Yeah, yeah, but it's 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 not the best time to pull away from the classic house sound, Orlando. Because judging from Beyonce's latest album and Drake's house music is gonna get, it apparently is gonna get big again in the U.S., where it's always been a little bit of a fringe genre, uh, club music in general. And you know, in the sense of it is, it's always been mainstream for years now. But you know what I mean? The, the it, if it becomes like Oprah Winfrey mainstream in America, this is the time for you to cash in because you know you've you've been doing this for quite a while. <laughs>
Well, that's not my uh, that's not my mo. That's not my my idea of a good time. So I'll just do my thing, and um, Drake and Beyonce will do their thing, and uh, <laughs> that that's as simple as it is. But the, but does it? Does that happen living in LA where even if you don't go to every party and stuff, you're kind of there with a lot of the main, not just the, the producers, but the people who, who put people together, like the, 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 the labels, the A&Rs, the, I don't know. And all of a sudden like superstars who always want to pick on, on, uh, who, who always want to draw, what do you call it? Uh, suck the blood from the talented underground producers like yourself or like your mate Bonobo. You know, who you get someone like Beyonce who will get, you know, who's, who, who knows, who has her team of advisors like, oh, you should get a remix from someone like Orlando. Uh, you know, it, does that happen? Do you, is, do you feel that kind of thing that there's this kind of thing like where it's a great place to be if you're a professional recording artist? Uh, if you want it to be, it can be that. Definitely. I mean, you can network here. You can go to the fancy parties. You can... Um, be at the places where the <laughs> celebrities are. Um, you can, you can, you can be part of that. Um, I most musicians I know here don't sort of play that game. They just keep their head down. And I really think that a lot of it, a lot of connections like that, just happen through reputation um, as an artist. And you know, people are found through their work rather than sort of being you know, living four miles away from um, some big producer or something. So it's more wholesome than you'd think, you might think. Um, I think there, the, 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 there's a lot of people just listening to music and loving music and going, oh, that person writes in a fantastic melody, let's get her into the studio. And, um, it's, it's, not, it's not so political. Um, but if you want to come here and do that stuff <laughs> and go to crazy parties in the hills, you can, of course. I don't recommend it for more than one weekend. Well, t tell me more about the album uh, itself. Uh, apart from the negative experiences, which we'll get into a little bit now, uh, what else was on the mood board when thinking about the album's concept and, and the artwork and, and, and everything? What were the inspirations? Okay, so, I mean... I had been working on just a body of music that wasn't really an album for sort of seven years. And then obviously in that there's tracks that feel finished and then you throw them away and ideas that you start in 20 minutes and then discard them and then find them again four years later. And there's this sort of constant turnover. Um, I think what happens is there's a moment when you decide to actually finish a record. And then, then I had to figure out like a concept uh, in order to make decisions about what I was going to keep and what I was going to discard. Um, and that was quite fun because I divided all the catalog that I'd written up into three piles um, of three different kind of um, emotional states. Uh, one was a sort of panic, one was a sadness, and one was hope. And uh, and I put all the stuff in, in those three piles where they belonged. And then from that, I went, well, I'm going to put out the sad album. <laughs> so this is the... Um, 
this is the sad record um, with a little bit of the panicky stuff in it. Um, and that helped me sort of like drill down on what I was trying to do um, and, and, and be able to be like, well, it's okay. I, I love this other song, but it's going to be on the next record or I'll put it out as a EP or something like that. Um, and, it, and it started making sense from that point. Um, and, and then it's kind of like, uh, you just have to accept that you're finishing it. Um, and, and that not everything is going to be fantastic. And I sort of set myself the target of things being seven and a half out of 10, uh, you know, as a score. <laughs> and if it's as good as seven and a half out of 10, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, and I don't try and get sort of nine out of tens and 10 out of tens because it's impossible and I'll spend my whole life worrying about it. Um, so yeah, that's a bit, I guess that's sort of a bit about it. Every time I speak about it, I find myself, uh, thinking about different things and, and it becomes kind of quite self-centered, but it's really an interesting thing to do. And I definitely don't recommend spending such a long time working on an album. I won't ever do that again in my life. Um, but I, but I learned a lot. Um, in this process you'll be like Terence Malick you know he did he only did like three movies over I don't know how many decades and all of a sudden he just started making a movie a year in, in his in his twilight years <laughs> right right well that sounds fun yeah. I'm ready for that yeah 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 it was, it was like an album a year anyway but I understand that this album will be inspired by your journey of self-discovery over the past decade and the dark times that that shaped well what the contents of this album um, may I ask how dark did life get dealing with a music career <laughs> and personal life. Um, how dark did it get? I mean, I didn't, I sort of wanted to stop everything and I was very, very depressed and um, confused and uh, yeah, bad. It got bad. Um, I, I had to hit kind of my version of rock bottom to start sorting things out. And um, I'm glad that that wasn't like a place where I did anything too harmful to myself. Um, but it certainly was horrible. And from there, it sort of got better and better. Um, I spent quite a lot of time like living in LA making music and just sort of getting drunk. Um, and I stopped drinking. That's been fantastic. Um, and just sort of like let go of a few things like that in my life um, and enjoy being focused and sober and, um, you know, facing the demons, uh, which I think everyone has to do in certain ways um, in their lives. It's just when do, you, when do you get around to it? And obviously in our world, there is a lot of drinking and partying and stuff and and it is a sort of a community of slightly lost souls um, trying to either disassociate or, or, or something else. And so it can be a bit strange to sort of be like, hang on a second, I might have to take a step away from this to sort myself out, even though this is kind of my world. Um, but uh, I'm on a, onto a great thing now and, and I'm... I'm I, I really don't like the expression that everything happens for a reason at all. I think that's an incredibly horrible, privileged expression that gets thrown around. But I am grateful 
for what I've learned through doing this. Um, uh, I just wish I'd learned it a bit faster. So I was putting this record out three years ago instead of now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what, what what did you learn about yourself that can help you cope with your future career? Well, an example of that would be to, you know, be happy with a 7 out of 10, 7.5 out of 10. You know, find a threshold. Don't be a perfectionist. Understand that momentum and flow is much more important and much more valuable than uh, the actual results of a song. Obviously, you need to have a certain level of of artistic result um but it's really about just like keeping going it's about the practice and there's like real joy in that and um and and i get better at music through being like that and if i'm sort of focused always on or i was focused on sort of you know finding some kind of like perfect perfect um album or track or, or or whole form of art then you know that's just me that's just unhappiness that's just unhappiness from the source and unhappiness in the result um so that would be one one way in which i think i've grown um and and another one relating to you know the, the business side is really learning how to take care of myself in an industry um and that means learning how to negotiate um, learning when to say no to people, like really learning when to say no to people. Um, and, uh, that took me a while and it's, and it's so important, you know, I would say to any new musicians listening to this show, like you, everything is a negotiation in this industry, unfortunately. Um, and you just have to start getting good at that as soon as possible. Um, and if anything feels off about a piece of paper that somebody's putting in front of you or a or an offer they're giving you, just don't do it. Say, no, this doesn't feel right. And only do things that feel 100% right. And you can get it to that point. Um, but you have to learn how to negotiate. So yeah, that's another example. And uh, I often get the feeling from from what friends who live in LA tell me and my own visits to Los Angeles, that it it's a little bit of, there's a lot of solitude in LA. Uh, even though everyone seems to be there, uh, it, you know, I get the feeling that, yeah, there's a lot of solace. How, go, how healthy was living in LA during your depressing times? Uh, didn't you ever need to go back to England and be around family or school friends, people? I mean, are you that kind of person that, you, are you good around, are you, are you a social person? Oh, I'm definitely a social person, but I, I, I came to LA for the solitude. That's why I moved here in the first place. I loved that you could disappear in the city. Um, and that, that, that is still what I love about it. I think that was, you know, that's how I work. Uh, you know, I, I work from home if I have one. Um, and I get up and I make music all day and then go out and do what I need to do to, you know, stay alive. Um, but, uh, I, I, I'm very happy spending most of my week on my own focused on, on music making. Um, and LA is just a great place for me to do that. Um, so I think, I don't, I, I think that was healthy. Um, I think LA can warp people in that way and, and can make you go a bit crazy, especially if you are going to the sort of famous parties um, and then sort of going home to your little bungalow somewhere and, and not seeing anyone for three days and then going out and sort of like 
I don't know, being at something with some rock stars, uh, I think that kind of twists people's heads up. But um, that's not my life here at all. And uh, when did you decide to become homeless or nomadic, shall we say, with, you know, just having a little storage space for your stuff? And how does that help? Yes. <laughs> well, it doesn't. Um, uh, it's a disaster. So the pandemic really, you know, as it did for so many musicians, um, pulled the rug out from under my feet. And uh, sort of a year of it was okay. I could cope with a year. But two years I knew would kind of ruin me. So I had to uh, change what I was doing and I decided to go back to Europe for a bit. Um, I gave up my LA home and spent a long time in Lisbon, uh, spent a lot of time uh, with family, uh, kind of for other reasons, um, but in the UK. And uh, obviously that's great. It's always, it's, it's always amazing experience to be kind of on the road in a slightly different way. Um, but I really miss having a home um, and uh, especially like a permanent studio. That is really tough. Um, but I've had a fantastic time. I mean, especially Lisbon. I loved being there. And, and now I finished the album there actually and, and you know, did the last two tracks and the title track for the album I, I made there. Um, and I, I now have a big place in my heart for that city. So, I, 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 you know, I might end up there one day. Uh, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't recommend being a nomad. <laughs> not, for, not really. Well, it, it must be a great place. to. I mean, it's cheap as hell. The food is great. And, I mean, you've got people like Sonic Boom and Panda Bear who, who've been living there for years now in Lisbon. It's a great, it's very artist-friendly, even though it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a bit, it's becoming uh, viciously gentrified, apparently, and the Portuguese, the Lisboan citizens aren't very happy with that. But <laughs> they're saying it's the new Barcelona. <laughs> uh, uh, is, it, is When the Lights Go fully solo, or are there any guest collaborators that you'd like to talk about? Like, for instance, is, is Bonobo, Bonobo, do I say it right? Bonobo? Bonobo? Bonobo, yeah. <laughs> is is um, Bonobo present? He is, he's, no, he's not on the album. Um, he definitely has heard me working on the album and um, offered up uh, uh, bits of um, <laughs> uh, feedback here and there. He's a great listener. We play each other stuff. Um, so there's a few producers who I've worked with uh, and a couple of songwriter moments. Um, probably most notable is um, my friend Chris Tracy, who's one half of the group Bag Raiders, and he's a producer and film composer, um, really just a fantastic musician. And I run a lot of stuff past him generally, and he sends me his stuff. And he's on quite a few tracks as a sort of producer. Um, and uh, he, he's the kind of guy I can play things to, and he'll sort of hit me with the, the sort of dumb, simple feedback and also some really smart stuff, you know, like so it'll sort of be like, well, you know, just get to the chorus faster or, uh, at the same time, he'll also say, how about, you know, this chord changes to this inversion of that chord. And, um, you know, it's fun to work on both levels like that with him. Uh, so he, yeah, he's been a great collaborator and I'm sure we'll do lots more music together. Don't you want my love? 
you've said that you, uh, part of um, finding happiness is be, learning to uh, finish things and, and be happy with a seven out of ten, and and that you're more interested in the in creating albums and, and being a more of a musician, shall we say? But is artistic transcendence something that matters to you? Oh, good question. Uh, yes. It is. Uh, I think any kind of like transcendence <laughs> is important. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, but, and I think that the way to do that is to be in flow and to be okay with 7.5 out of 10. And then you find that you might hit a 10 out of 10 occasionally just by not worrying too much and being in flow. So it's sort of like, yes, giving yourself the opportunity to do something great involves giving yourself the opportunity to do something rubbish. Um, and I'm definitely not the first person to say that, you know, that's just, that's how, that's how you get there is by being cool with the mistakes. There are tracks on this album that I, I know I could have done a much better job with. Um, there's one in particular that I'm like, maybe this shouldn't be on the album at all, but also I'm really happy it's on there because it's kind of a big risk. Um, and, and if it's all totally safe, then I know there's kind of no opportunity for a surprise. Well, I mean, speaking of surprises, it's like when you and Bonobo recorded Heartbreak, you know, you, you just went into, you were just jamming apparently, right? And all of a sudden it got nominated for a Grammy? Nominated? Yeah, that was absolutely a surprise. I mean, we uh, certainly the Grammy element was something that um, neither of us were imagining was going to happen. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, super exciting and just great to go through that with a friend um, and have the sort of surrealness and also celebration of the Grammys was just like a hoot. I mean, I'll never forget it. And I, I don't expect that to ever happen again to me. Um, certainly not something I'm like aiming for. Um, so just fantastic. Very grateful for that whole trip of an experience. How hard is it dodging that, you know, when you get the the that, the honey on your lips and it, it's that kind of industry trap where it's like, oh, maybe, you know, you, 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 it's, it's very easy to become delusional and think, oh, it's always going to be like this now. And I'm always going to be having dinner with Clive Davis and, and all these big heads and stuff. Was it, did it, were you like really cautious between the both of you of like, hey, 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 watch it. This is them trying to trap us into the industry. No, we've both been around for long enough, you know, and, and, you know, you meet the super powerful and super famous people very early on in music. Like, you just will meet them. And, and it quickly dispels that there's any kind of magnetism there. Um, and I think if you are susceptible to that stuff, you don't survive anyway. Um, it kind of ruins you. So uh, not at all. There's nothing like that. It's just sort of a fun experience. And, you know, the Grammys themselves... Um, it's a good thing. It's, you know, it's a, it's a network. It's a hub of a big network of musicians and um, all those people are very, very serious about music. Um, I'd say that the record labels get pretty serious about uh, in, a, in a slightly weird way about winning Grammys, but musicians tend to just be there for the ride and, and enjoying that. So no, it was great, man. I mean, I, I can't, I had such a fun time. The whole thing was such a surprise and uh, it doesn't make me feel differently about myself at all. Uh, 
I sort of have a joke with my family about being Grammy nominated, and and that's it. Do you have the kind of family funny. where and you know and and relatives that kind of have fun, sort of uh, keeping you grounded and and joking around, like the kind of British banter that. That, that that is unique, really. That that's very that that very British thing of all right. You know, you go down to the pub. It's like, oh, here comes uh, Mister Grammy nominated. Yes. Kind of, do you have a lot of that? <laughs> exactly, exactly that, exactly that. Um, I I I mean, they're British, so they are just sort of constantly taking the piss and uh cutting me down um and whether that's a good thing or not i don't know i kind of one of the reasons i think i moved to america was to slightly get away from that british attitude um and but it's funny it's funny i'm like okay guys we, I, you know i have to give it back i have to give it to them back yeah yeah i mean i saw an old video an old interview of henry rollins dragging morrissey and stating that english people who move away from the uk and live elsewhere such as in la are cooler than british people who remain in britain <laughs> do you care to comment on that base and quite rude perception of mr rollins uh i'm going to agree with it i think that and it works in every country with every type of person the people who I've met in my life who've traveled and lived elsewhere are nicer and cooler than the people who've stayed in one place their whole lives. And I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you haven't done your traveling yet, but it's so important to see how other people live and see how other cultures work and just see that your, your way of life is not the only way of life. Um, and especially British people, because they really think, you know, there's this thing, British exceptionalism, and British people really think that they are the greatest. So uh, I think it's really important to see other sides. Tell me about the tour, what, the plans for touring this album or, or put, yeah, taking, taking this to the live circuit. Uh, will you be a one-man show or are you look, are, is it going to be different this time around? Are you going to have a, a backing band? What kind of thing? Uh, that is, that's... T TBC, actually, um, there's two different shows that I'm playing with uh, the idea and I'm costing them up. Um, sounds very dry, but you've got to work out if you can actually take it on the road. Um, and I'm seeing uh, uh, what happens um, over the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm very nervous about performing live again, but I, th I just think I, I, it's important for me to do it. Um, it's tricky because the cost of touring has sort of doubled since I last took a show on the road, but ticket prices and fees have not. Um, so it's hard out there, man. I mean, I speak to a lot of musicians who are wondering how to take their shows on the road and, and, and they're really not, and they're really stuck. And, and these are people who are selling very big venues. Um, and, uh, so yeah, <clears throat> when you see a guy on stage or a girl on stage or a band on stage, don't assume because they're on a big stage that they've been able to buy themselves a house and, and a car that chances are they're losing money that night. Um, especially in the, in the next couple of years. Well, thank you so much, Orlando, for, for this interview. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And, uh, you know, I, I was so gutted when I missed our first, uh, schedule and I thought, oh, he doesn't want oh, to hear no us of us again at Radio Primavera. I've tarnished, I've tarnished my radio's <laughs> no, reputation. No, no. Damn it. We're professionals. We can't be this amateur. Uh, thank you so much. And I really look, I hope you do come to Europe soon to present this music live as yes. you've been to Barcelona many times, Rasmataz, uh, 
hopefully you can even play our festival. Yeah. Anyway, this is, <laughs> uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you, Orlando. I hope so. And congrats. You're, 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 it's, Thanks it's for pleasure. having me. It's a pleasure. Good luck, my friend. Bye-bye. And I'll be loving you forever and ever And I'll never let you hurt from me again Cause I'll be loving you forever and ever Yes, I'll be watching you till the very end